I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is senior editor of Fast Company, Julia Herbst. We need the topic we're going to be talking about today with Julia is understanding middle managers amid today's workplace challenges. Everything that we've always hated about middle managers remains true. They don't get to make big decisions, but have to inspire or even force employees to execute on them. Yet, mid-level employees are now facing the great resignation and great re-entry, caring for employees' physical and mental well-being, rolling out DEI training, and implementing hybrid work processes, all with limited resources. In a recent Fast Company article, Work Life Section Senior Editor Julia Herbs details, details how the pandemic and the new workplace environment it's created is posing a challenge to middle managers. She breaks down how executive priorities and those of lower level employees diverge and what that means for those sandwiched between. She points out there's a reason for the old adage that people quit managers, not companies. Welcome to the show, Julia. Nice to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Well, I just, that last sentence that I read, there's a reason for the old adage uh, that people quit Mm -hmm. managers, not companies. How does that uh, quote sort of Uh, What does that mean in the context of understanding middle managers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very true. It's been true for a long time, and it remains true, right? And you know, we're experiencing a great resignation, a lot of people resigning, you know, and the determination between whether you stay at a company or look elsewhere. It probably does have a lot to do with who your manager is. If you feel supported at work, you know, if they understand what you're doing, and if they support you. Um, you know, with all of the changes that are going on in the workforce right now, I think that's just more true than ever. Well, it seems to me, I mean, we, uh, you may, I mentioned uh, obviously some of the challenges and you're reiterating them. Uh, you're, mm-hmm. what, what can we do? I mean, are middle managers actually prepared to be able to handle all of what we've just talked about as a matter of, I mean, what, what kids do they yeah. need to do? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a huge period of transformation. I think all of us have seen that, you know, no matter what our industry is, that the workplace is totally different now. You know, you mentioned the great resignation. You mentioned, you know, implementing hybrid work or returning fully to the office. You mentioned, you know, burnout and sort of mental health struggles. All of those things are, you know, big issues um, for middle managers. And I think, you know, the thing that we can do to make a difference is support them, right? Which means, you know, training, Um, It means, you know, actual um, systems that have been put in place by leaders, and it means, you know, helping them enact these policies and not sort of expecting them to sort of come up with them and implement them all on their own. Well, what about the differences between what corporate wants and, say, the middle managers wants? And I know uh, Mm -hmm. one of the issues and one of the issues that you do talk, you talk about, I mean, you know, corporate leaders, they want their people back. They want them back in the office. They want to keep an eye on them, see what they're doing, uh, have some control uh, over all of, of the managers and workflow. But the employees themselves and managers themselves want to have flex time. They don't want to be in the office nine to five, seven, you know, five days a week. Uh, so mm-hmm. to me, it seems that's one of the major or that's a big challenge. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think that's a huge sticking point um, for sure is that, you know, by and large, a lot of senior level folks, you know, not middle managers, but really, really senior folks do want people back in the office. And I think I cited a study in this piece that was saying that there were like something like 80% of senior level 
managers who think there should be, you know, severe consequences if people aren't returning back to the office, you know, and then, um, you know, average workers feel pretty differently. Some want to come back, some want to come back part-time, some never want to come back to the office at all. You know, there's a huge range of feelings about it. Um, and so middle managers are kind of stuck in the middle. But I think, you know, the main takeaway here is really that you can't kind of unring the flexibility bell, so to speak, right? Like once you um, prove that you can do work from wherever, you know, and that you can take the break to see your kid's soccer game and then come back and log on later and get more work done and, you know, show that you can be equally, if not more so productive in that context, then I think it's a pretty hard thing to be the middle manager who is required to say to their, you know, direct reports like, no, actually we do need you in the office from nine to five now, you know, after two years of this experiment. Yeah. Well, are there people who are there employees who say, okay, I don't mind being in the, maybe even older employees who are more used to that younger employees. And I'm just making this assumption. You can correct me, sure, but sure. they're used to working at home for whatever they do. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, the, the uh, Gen X's for instance, and the, and the millennials, but you take some of the older groups of, of employees, maybe they're more attuned to being in the office as I say, you know, nine to five, five days a week. It, can you, is that yeah, anything? It's, yeah. It's really interesting to look at kind of who wants to go back and who doesn't, um, you know, and I think it's kind of actually evenly split. If you say like, do you want to be in the office all the time, some of the time, rarely or none of the time, it, it actually splits into kind of somewhat equal quadrants, I think, in a lot of studies. Um, and it's not necessarily just people who have been in the office, you know, for many years. A lot of times, you know, it's like, entry-level employees who want that kind of face-to-face -face time and that office experience. I think there's, you know, a lot that can be learned from being in an office setting, um, depending on kind of what type of work you're doing. So sometimes it's, it's folks like that. Sometimes it's parents, you know, who would like to have that separation between their personal life and their work life. Um, you know, they, they want a quiet office space to be able to focus and get things done. So it definitely is the kind of thing where it just depends on the employee. But I think it is a really hard thing um, to be a middle manager requiring people to come back um, and just, you know, saying no matter what your job is, no matter who you are, like you must come back. That's that's just a pretty hard <laughs> bargain to drive yeah. at this moment in time because a lot of people, you know, do want that flexibility. So we're talking about different kinds of companies, I assume, also, right? Different. Mm -hmm. There are different corporate mm -hmm. cultures, and I think you've mentioned that – uh, managers are tasked with shaping corporate culture. So how do they do that in this context? And maybe just may mention or talk about do it in the context of different kinds of corporate cultures, different com medium-sized companies, big, large companies, um, because yeah. I'm sure there are differences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that if you are expecting middle managers to be the sort of everything of corporate culture, that's a problem. Like it, it needs to be set from the top, right? It can't be just the folks in the middle who are set kind of creating this culture. But I do think, you know, to the point about the, you know, old adage of people quit managers, like the, the middle manager is the person who the direct report has a relationship with, right? So that's really important for setting the tone of, you know, um, we really believe in um, supporting your mental health. Like we really believe in flexibility, like the work you're doing important, all is important. All of those sorts of like feelings and relationships are directly tied to whoever your direct supervisor is, right? So no matter what industry you're in, no matter if, you know, you're working at a huge corporate company or, you know, a small mom and pop kind of a shop, it is that relationship that is so critical. And so I think when we are talking about all of this, you know, executives need to understand that middle managers are kind of the glue that are holding these companies together and they need to provide adequate support to those folks doing that hard work every day. 
I'm listening to you talk. It's a big job. It sounds overwhelming, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. It really does. It sounds overwhelming. And speaking of overwhelming, I mean, mental health benefits, that's a big thing. That's, I think, more important yeah. now than ever. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. d- since the pandemic, during that, we're still in the, I still, endemic, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, but we're still, you know, COVID is still here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what about the mental health benefits? How do middle managers yeah. e- e- I guess, juggle that in the mm-hmm. corporate yeah, culture. I think we are seeing that, you know, mental health benefits are being implemented in a lot of more places. Uh, I think that's definitely part of a solution, but not maybe the full solution, right? Because mental health at work also has a lot to do with kind of how supported you feel by your team. You know, if you have somebody checking in on you, if you have a manager who understands if you need to take time off for, you know, um, other things that you need to do to support your mental health. And I think that really relates to the flexibility com- uh, conversation also, right? Um, and so I think, yes, it's great that, you know, companies are rolling out these benefits, but they can't be just sort of like, oh, we have an app that, you know, can connect you to a therapist, right? It has to be a more holistic and kind of a, a broader sort of thing if we are looking at kind of long-term solutions because, you know, everyone is burned out. Um, and that includes middle managers too, unfortunately. When you say holistic, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, so not just like here's a benefit that you can access and, you know, go talk to HR about how it might happen, but also like, um, you know, we're going to take this day off. You know, we're going to make sure that you are not stuck answering emails until 3 a.m. every day. You know, um, we are setting boundaries about what work looks like, you know, um, and we are creating time and space for people to create meaningful relationships at work, which I think is really critical for mental health. What about diversity training? I mentioned that in the beginning, and uh, you yeah. also mentioned it because uh, DEI training is ver- is really critical, very important. Uh, you know, how mm-hmm. does that pan- uh, how does that fit into this picture? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, following the murder of George Floyd in 2020, a lot of companies sort of had some sort of a reckoning, you know, and made these big commitments to implement, you know, more training more equity work to take, you know, a look at various aspects of their DEI work internally, which is great. Um, but what needs to happen is there needs to be that sort of long-term support for these sorts of endeavors, right? And it needs to come from the top, right? It needs to be something that there is like money and resources and time and effort put into implementing these. So it doesn't end up becoming something that falls only on middle managers to implement, right? It needs to be something that is done, you know, in a larger and more comprehensive way. Um, and I think, you know, a couple couple of years out from that, like there needs to be that sort of sustained effort to do this type of work um, so that it becomes, you know, it is done in the way that it needs to be done, um, which I think is, you know, it's, it's hard work and it's work that requires a lot of emotional intelligence and commitment um, and it needs to be done in a sustained way, you know. Where do middle managers come from and how do you hire a middle manager? Hmm. When you say where do they come from, what do you mean exactly by that? Like uh, you're hiring a middle manager like out of college, mm-hmm. out of, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are, you know, different criteria for different companies, but, you know, uh, I have more of an idea of like a CEO, you, you have a picture of who a CEO is um, mm-hmm. or employees. But when I think of a middle manager, like in today's context, you know, now, right now, where do they come from in terms of education, experience? How do you hire a middle yeah. manager? I think that's a great question. Um, and it's something I spoke to a lot of experts about. Um, I think it's a really hard time to be, you know, like a first time middle manager right now. 
Um, and I think, you know, often the way it works with companies is you get promoted into it, right? So you're good at doing whatever you're hired to do. Um, and then you begin to take on more and more responsibility, right? You begin to lead a small team. You have people who report to you. Um, you know, which is good. And that can be a really great way to like understand, you know, what the company is doing and what its values are and sort of be able to build a team from there. But there's also the danger that, you know, just because you're really good at doing whatever your direct contributor role is, doesn't necessarily mean you have the the skills to be a good manager, right? Like those are two very different skill sets, you know? Um, And so I think that's why the training piece, especially for people who are first time managers is really important, right? Because you need to learn how to, check in on your direct reports. You need to know how to measure their progress. You know, what do you do if you have somebody on your team who's not meeting those milestones? Like all of those things are really important and they're not things you just innately might know, right? Even if you're really smart and good at whatever your job was before you became a manager. In other words, you could, it's it's a skill set that requires a lot of skills, different kinds of skills. Absolutely. Yeah, not, not just yeah. being, and I as think you often say. isn't valued in the way that it should be. Uh, what about business schools? I mean, do, do middle managers come out of business, like undergraduate, let's say, undergraduate mm-hmm. business schools? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's a range of, of ways in which people end yeah. up um, being middle managers. But I think, you know, it's hard to replace that sort of on the ground, like, you know, I am leading a team and I have people reporting to me, like that sort of experience. You just sort of have to get on the job in a way, right? Yeah, you know, being in New York City and coming, I go back and forth between New York City and Albany, and boy, I, mm-hmm. I, I go to, you know, a lot of, uh, well, restaurants, for instance, and I, I, I notice, I mean, there's a real issue with, as you're calling, this is, these are maybe smaller venues than, than uh, you know, obviously than big companies, but middle managers are really struggling. I see that. They don't really, Mm -hmm. I mean, get a lot of inexperienced people because as you said, how many 48 million people quit their jobs in 2021, which is a huge Mm -hmm. number. So they bring in a lot of, I see in a lot of these businesses, inexperienced people. And it really does screw up the process of, uh, handling the business in, in the way that it should be handled. I noticed it. I notice it everywhere. I, I shouldn't say just mm-hmm. restaurants and stuff, but uh, that it is a, a really big issue that getting middle management to be able to do what they're supposed to do, whatever the business is, is uh, they're struggling with it, or at least. Yeah. Talking, and I yeah. think to your point of, you know, people quitting in sort of big numbers that create sort of this vicious cycle, right? you have more people quitting and then there's more pressure to keep the remaining people, you know, who are reporting to you, right. And get the same amount of stuff done with fewer people on your team. Um, and then people burn out more. So it can just kind of create like this really bad cycle if you don't have sort of the adequate staffing to, to support a team. So are we going to be able to kind of get out of this morass, I guess you'd call it. I mean, <laughs> we're kind of stuck. That's the picture I'm getting as I'm talking to you, sort of, you know, um, how do we do that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't mean to paint a picture of just doom and <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, you know, for what it's worth, it's always been challenging to be a middle manager. You know, this is something that we've been reporting on at Fast Company for a long time and, you know, sort of what the challenges are and what kind of education is needed to help middle managers. So like none of these problems are new. They might be, you know, especially acute in this moment. Um, I think things are also really changing in the workplace, you know, with the impending recession, you know, some of these things may shift. Um, I think there are sort of new challenges that arise with a recession. Um, And so it's not necessarily that, you know, things will magically get easier because people will stop, you know, quitting their jobs or something like that. 
But I think, you know, the best solution to these sorts of problems is, you know, it's going to have to be leaders um, sort of implementing clear policies and helping lead from the top, right, actually lead um, and give support and education to those folks who are stuck in the middle so that they can feel more supported and more capable and leading teams, you know, all the way down throughout an organization. So you're saying that the like whether it's a corporate leader or someone who owns the business, but somebody at the top, mm-hmm. the people, those at the top really have to be more engaged with those in the middle than they have been in the past. Yeah, let's say. yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, they can't just sort of pass off these problems to be solved by the, you know, middle managers. They have to sort of implement policies. And then I think just also understand that this is an issue, right? That middle managers are being asked to do a ton these days. Um, And if that's the case, then you need to make sure they have the support that they need to get things done. Well, I'm just thinking of circumstances. I know in schools, uh, this is the case, but also in businesses. I mean, people now, they test positive for COVID. They can't be there one day. You know, they have to, Mm -hmm. they can't be in the, it's it's very, uh, how should I say, you can't plan ahead for those kinds of things. So you're always kind Mm -hmm. of in this state of limbo, like people coming and going and testing positive and then closing down a shop. And um, it would seem to me that that is really disruptive and very difficult for those who are trying to manage a business on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, and I think no matter what industry you're in, but especially if you're in, you know, kind of a customer facing place where you need to physically be there, that can be incredibly disruptive and, you know, yeah, challenging to your point, you can't plan for something like that. Yeah. So uh, in your experience and how long have you been in I'll say in or in the biz. I mean, in the business. Um, in, and, in journalism, or <laughs> yeah, well, both. Yeah, in journalism, for instance, because you've seen a lot, you've written a lot, um, you've been aware of all these issues. Um, you know, in terms of how things have evolved and where you see, see things going in, in the future. I mean, because you know, you talk about middle management it has always been an issue. I mean, it's always been a challenge. Yeah. But now it's more challenging than ever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like hopeful to have these conversations about mental health in the workplace. I think the pandemic has really um, shifted that in the way that it's made it more okay to talk about, right? And I think um, that's also true with, you know, sort of related things like flexibility and, you know, working remotely and all of these sorts of things. I think it's really great we're having this conversation. Um, It's kind of funny, you know, because we've been talking about all of these sorts of topics in the workplace section of that company for many years, you know predating me too. And and now these are the sorts of topics that people talk about at cocktail parties, like, oh, if you return to the office, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, what mental health benefits is your company providing? Like all of these sorts of things are just sort of uh, much more on the table and much more discussed than they were previously. And so I think that's really exciting and hopeful. Can you be too flexible? Uh, I'm thinking of a situation where, I mean, one or let's take the middle manager trying to attend to the needs mm-hmm. of all his or her employees. And you've got people coming and going either because they're sick or uh, because they have, you know, other issues or we have to all, well, all the issues that we've been discussing have to be attended to. Is it at some point becomes too disruptive? Hmm. I think that's an interesting question. I guess it sort of depends if, um, uh, what the needs of your business are, you know, and, and yeah. if they can truly be accomplished, um, you know, with folks working remotely. I mean, I think there's also sort of the flip side of it, which is like, if you are not flexible enough, who are you going to be losing? Um, and so that's the thing I, I think about too. And I think we've seen at companies, you know, if you're saying we need you all back in the office from nine to five, just because it's too complicated to think about, you know, what hybrid or what remote would look like, or we don't want to spend the time doing that, then like, who are the, you know, super smart folks who are just going to go elsewhere because um, they don't need to stay at a company that doesn't have that sort of flexibility. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a really sort of like industry and company specific question of like, what, what does flexibility look like? And is there sort of a loss to allowing folks to work in the way that works best for them? So flexibility can be different in different <clears throat> companies, different size mm-hmm. companies for one, and, and, and also in terms of, of what they do. I guess for middle managers, you have to know your not only the company and the corporate culture, but you have to know your people. It would seem to me Definitely. you really have. I think that's so yeah. true. Yeah, and, I mean, I think also you know flexibility can you know it can look like okay, so Wednesdays we all work from home, or it can look like you know we have core hours where we you know everyone is online from eleven to three, and so if we have meetings, that's what happens. You know, some companies have gone fully asynchronous, right? So. You can work whatever hours you want. Um, But one thing that a lot of experts I spoke to when I was reporting this piece sort of emphasized was that we really need to be shifting away from measuring, you know, hours logged as a show of like who's getting things done and more to what the results are, right? So if you're someone who's working, you know, from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. every day and you're getting everything done, you know, depending on the company, you know, or industry you're working in, maybe that's fine, you know, if you're getting twice as much done as the person who's, you know, searching the web, you know, from nine to five, right? Um, but yeah. is physically in the office, right? Um, so I think it's sort of about managers being trained to move from, you know, measuring just hours logged versus like outcome or output. So outcome, 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 that's key. I mean, that uh, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. What about hiring practices? It would seem to me that really comes in. So now when you're hiring people, it's very different hiring people now than say it was maybe pre COVID. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that, I mean, someone who's really good, are middle managers the ones who are doing the hiring? I mean, I think it really depends. (laughs) The company, right? Sometimes that's that's definitely what middle managers are doing. Sometimes, you know, HR teams are, you know, more directly involved in that. They're hiring managers. Um, But I would say that, you know, regardless of who's doing it, um, communication skills um, really becomes a very important thing and, you know, sort of soft skills. A lot of folks have been talking about that for a while, but, you know, especially if you have teams that are spread out or distributed or working different hours or, you know, maybe not all in the same physical place in the way that they were pre-pandemic, like being able to communicate effectively and directly um, and having that emotional intelligence is just more important than ever. So HR, I guess, traditionally are those are the people who do the hiring and fire, well, the hiring, Um, but now middle managers would be more involved in that because it's um, maybe there are more complex issues that one has to consider when you're hiring somebody. Maybe. I mean, I think it really just depends on how the company is structured, how big they are, you know, if they have HR teams who are directly involved in hiring or if it's sort of done in communication, you know, in, in collaboration with the middle manager. I'm not sure that I've seen that there's like been a huge shift in terms of who's actually doing the hiring, but I do think potentially, you know, what, what you might be looking for in an employee could have shifted a bit. So are there companies that are, as you see it, doing it right, or seem to be able to, are being able to make this transition, seem to, to their middle managers are uh, not only competent, but um, satisfied, uh, and are being able to incorporate some of these new hiring practices for their businesses and dealing with all the issues we've been talking about during the interview. Can you, are there companies that really seem to have nailed it? I mean, I think we're seeing like the full spectrum, right? <laughs> um, so, so there are certainly companies who, you know, are getting it right. And I think you can see that in terms of like retention rates, right? 
um, and, you know, how much folks are sticking around. I think, you know, there are definitely companies that are doing some of these things, right? I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of things, right? Um, you know, and then I think there are companies that, you know, are maybe trying one thing and seeing it's not working and so shifting. Um, I think it's just like a huge period of flux right now. And, you know, obviously there isn't just one factor that's, that's happening that's at play here. Um, so getting it right means really getting a number of things, right? Are there businesses that are just in general, whether it's uh, restaurants, retail, different types of businesses that are struggling more than others? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think we've seen layoffs in certain sectors so far more than others, right? Um, I think it's especially challenging um, to, if you have a, a kind of a business that you need to be very front facing, right? Customer facing. We sort of talked about that earlier, you know, with sort of COVID and, you know, health and safety challenges or really needing folks to be in a physical space at very specific times, right? I think that's just going to be sort of inherently more challenging than maybe if you are like a white collar um, worker um, and you can work kind of from wherever. Um, I think it's a little easier to adjust to some of these things as a company. Um, So, yeah, I I would say like definitely um, those industries that require people to be in person, um, that's just going to inherently be more challenging. We only have a couple minutes left, so we've talked about a lot, and I know people are interested in a lot of the different uh, topics that we sort of touched on, so give us a a website or websites that we can go to for more information about what we've been talking about. Yeah, so um, the work-life section at fastcompany.com is where where we're talking about all these things every day. Um, We've got a lot of um, both reported pieces from our um, reporters and freelance writers, but then also a bunch of op-eds from, you know, business leaders um, and experts kind of looking at these topics. Great. Well, that's the place to go to anyway. That's the go-to place. Uh, great talking <laughs> to you, Dave. Lots of really good Thanks information, a lot me. of things to think about. Um, uh, and it's, uh, this whole thing is evolving, I guess, right? It's yes. constantly evolving. Absolutely. Yes. And we've been talking to the editor, uh, one of the senior editors at Fast Company, Julia Herbs. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 